0: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And I asked for topics last night amongst the ministers groups, which is the ministers of each individual congregation gather. We gather once a week, we are on an email group that exchanges information, that way we can talk, you know, about uh, private concerns and individual problems and solutions, etc., that's the way it worked. Uh, it, you know, people think Google is a clever new idea, but the reality is the old Levites were the Google of past ages. If you had a problem in society, in your community, in your family, and you wanted to know what a solution might be, you would go to your minister. And your minister would go to nine other ministers like himself who were connected to hundreds and hundreds of other ministers through a contiguous network and they say, this is a problem that comes up for us. This is a problem that came up in our congregation. How would you solve this? And everybody, you know, within in, in a very short period of time, everybody be, would be working on this. And they might take it back to some of the smartest people in their own congregations. And they'd say, you know, we're, we're dealing with this or that or the other problem. And so what what's the solution? And somebody would come up with a solution. And it was, you Levite it. You didn't Google it. You Levited it. (laughs) So, it's people helping people. That's what the kingdom is. Because people care, people in the kingdom, people seeking the kingdom, are seeking to care about their neighbor as much as themselves. And not just their buddies, but their neighbors near and far. And this is what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself which is what Moses said, what Jesus said. Moses and Jesus taught exactly, exactly the same thing. They were in agreement. We've shown this over and over again. You know, love your enemy. Moses was telling us to do that. But the interpretation of the Old Testament by men like the Pharisees, like many of the people in the modern church, produced a gospel of the Old Testament that was not real, not valid, not true, was in apostasy. And when Jesus came, he found them in apostasy. Now, there were Jewish groups, citizens of Judea, citizens of of many other countries that were a part of the Torah, reading the Torah in Hebrew, studying the Torah, who came to a completely different conclusion about what the Old Testament said than what you got from the Pharisees or Zealots or or from any of the dozens of other factions that were surrounding the religion that we call Judaism. They had a, read the same Torah, didn't involve themselves in animal sacrifice. Because they didn't see this idea of piling up stones and killing sheep and setting them on fire as what the Old Testament was talking about. They didn't believe that that's what the Old Testament was telling them to do. They believed that the Old Testament was telling them to create a network of charity. Look out amongst yourselves, pick men you trust. Those men become the stones of the altar when they qualify as Levites. Do what? Moses said the Levites should do first thing they had to do is come out be separate be separate be holy that's the same thing that's what the word means to be separate and serve the tents of the congregation the tabernacles of the congregation each individual homes go rightly divide the bread from house to house what bread the bread that was contributed to them through a system of tithing Tithing. Why tithing? Because ten families got together. And they gave a share. And that's what was called a tithe. People think tithe always 10%. But here we see a rich man talking about giving half of everything that he produces. That's not 10%. That's 50%. It was just recently in the news, people were talking about Donald Trump's income tax for actually it was quite a few years back i think it wasn't last year's income tax and uh he gave 28 percent to the government he actually gave a lot more to charity too but he gave 28 percent to government that was his tithe uh when they compared this to a lot of other people like bernie sanders and barack obama he gave way more like way higher percentage And that says nothing of all the corporate taxes that, you know, he has 500 corporations that he owns. And they're all paying taxes as well. This is just his private individual income tax. So $28 million is a drop in the bucket for the amount of taxes that he pays. He pays employment taxes, matching Social Security for all of his employees. If you added up all the money that Donald Trump and Donald Trump Enterprises... Pays into taxes. It's a huge amount. It may be more than 50%. But there in Judea, the rich man gave half of everything he had. On a regular basis, everything he produced on a regular basis to charity. To the needs of society. To the needs of the community. And that was his tithe. Tithe is not 10%. You know, I mean, if all things are equal, I mean, they give you the metaphor, well, you know, if you had 10 sheep that you produce, you know, one of those goes to the Levites. He doesn't just get the kidneys and the kidney fat. He gets the whole dang sheep. They actually had lands in common in every community where the Levites could run sheep on those land and cattle and whatever animals that they had. But they had no inheritance in the land. They owned all the land that they had in common. So if a Levite died, the land went back to Levites. Now they, within their community, Levites had a legal title to property. They were, you know, there was pasturages that they would stay in because they're serving the community. So there was... There was a Levite house in almost every single community. No matter how small there was somewhere, there was a Levite who stayed. And there served the people. Now, the people didn't like them. They would seek another Levite. And the way they controlled that is they would tie to the Levite they liked. that They thought was doing a good job. Now, they couldn't just pick a guy that entertained them, tickled their ears. They had to pick a guy that served the community and made the community stronger. Otherwise, the community would become weaker. That was the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah, is that their system weakened the people. But the Levite system of social welfare, through living altars, with living stones, fit together without regulations, unhewn stones. That's what it means. Unhewn means without regulating them from the top down. They just had to figure out how to fit together. In order to fit together in a network like that, you had to be forgiving. And you had to be giving. You just can't fit together without being forgiving and giving. It's kind of like being on on a bus where everybody's crowded in and they're bumping into each other and they go around corners and and you you step on somebody's toe, you had to be forgiving. Otherwise, fistfights break out. And that's that's the way it worked. That was the way their government worked. It was, there were no forced taxes in Israel for 400 years until they decided to have a king. They had to have a, a chief executive officer, a commander-in-chief of the army is really what they were looking for at first. But then he became king of a lot of other things, because just just having a commander-in-chief weakened them as a people. They had some ruler who would organize everybody together, force everybody to kind of line up. This has been the battle since Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. You plow the Adama or you tend the sheep. The sheep hear your voice and they gather together and do the right thing. Seek righteousness. That's the way it works. So anyway, I asked uh, for topics and one of the topics came back. One suggestion from one of the ministers says, talk about rich and why someone rich might have more difficulty entering into the kingdom. Uh, It goes on to say, I hear modern Christian folks uh, that try to justify socialism and communism. On the basis of a rich man having more difficulty entering into the kingdom. While at the same time, Christians owning all things in common, like it states in Acts. No, it doesn't state in Acts that Christians owned all things in common. That's not what it states in Acts. It's talking about the church owning all things in common. You see, we have this preconceived notion that if you go to a church building, you know, like a Baptist or Methodist, that you're a part of the church. Well, in the most general sense, you might be a part of the church. But Jesus called out his little flock, ministers, to be ministers. Just like Moses called out the Levites. That's the church. The word church comes from ecclesia, which means called out. And we see the same word translated the ecclesia that called out in the wilderness. well, the called out in the wilderness was not everybody, it was the Levites who came out as a people, mostly the Levites, other people came out, but that whoever came out wanted to become a minister of that kingdom that operated with free will offerings, operated by charity alone, no taxes, just charity. Yeah, you're supposed to give a tithe, uh, you know, a portion from every family. But there was no enforcement of that. There was nobody kicking in your door and arresting you and throwing you in jail or beating you because you didn't give a tithe. Because you didn't contribute to a minister. It's just telling you that it's expected by God. You're answerable to God. You weren't answerable. There was no king there were no kings people had to learn how to work together and again you can't do that without forgiveness and giving so you know if if we went to the Bible and we um, and we looked up that particular phrase that people you know it's that one place that it says, talks about all things in common and people uh cling to that uh, there is a reference there in acts where it talks about that having all things in common but Again, they're talking about the church because this is what Jesus said, that you had to take all your property and, you know, give it away. We see Barnabas doing that, selling his property, taking all the money and laying it at the feet of the apostles. And becoming Barnabas. He was Hoses before a Levite, by the way. And he shouldn't even own property. And if you study the history, you realize that under the Hasmoneans, suddenly Levites got to own property. And they began to become very rich. And most of the property tax, I wouldn't say most, but a large percentage, could be most, of the property tax paid at the time of Jesus Christ was paid to Levites. Because they ended up owning... Lots and lots of property. And then, of course, they couldn't work that much property. So they farmed it out to other people to live on that property and farm it. And then pay a share to the Levites as a rent on that property. Which, again, that rent was usury. Because they were in apostasy. They had gone into apostasy. We see the Catholic Church doing the same thing during the 1400s, 1300s. As they, you know, they wrote, the Catholic Church rose to power, really. I mean, it began about 300 A.D. with Constantine. And then it rose to power around 900 to 1000, And it started rising to power by crowning men, chief executive officers, commanders-in-chief, kings, over the other people. It would put crowns on their head and say, this is your ruler. Just the opposite of what Jesus would have done. But this gave them power because the church backed them and often gave them a large portions of the money that they made as this exercising authority, forcing the contributions of the people, taxing the people. Saul did the same thing. He forced the contributions of the people. But because of that, his kingdom would not stand. And because of that, the whole world is going to collapse into an economic chaos, military, violent economic chaos, because we've gone this same way on a worldwide level, never before reached in any time in known history. Certainly not. The Roman Empire did the same thing, but it took them, you know, a couple hundred years to actually completely collapse. But, I mean, millions of people died during the process of that collapse. Starved, were brutalized by military invasions, uh, disease. All these things were calamities that Came upon the Roman Empire because it moved from a republic that was supported mostly by free will offerings and a voluntary military to an empire with a commander in chief. That's what emperor means, commander in chief. If you translated the word imperator in the Latin into English, it translates as commander in chief. And the president of Rome was called the Principas Civitas, and many times the commander in chief was also elected Principa Civitas, but not always. So there were certain differences, but they had all the basic parameters under Augustus Caesar as the president of the United States and many governments, many prime ministers. Not most most governments the prime minister is not the commander in chief. You know, but they have, they have different ways of doing it. But in the United States, there are three basic parameters to the office of presidency. And one is that he is the commander-in-chief of the military. He is the chief executive officer of of Washington, D.C., which is a municipality. C- Caesar Augustus was the chief executive officer as the Principas Civitas of, of Rome which was a municipality. And the third office was Apotheos. He was the appointer of judges throughout the empire. He appointed the the imperial judges who decided imperial matters in all the courts throughout the entire empire. Those three offices are all held in the one office of Presidency of the United States. We're going that way. We're abandoning the ways of Christianity true Christianity, of Christ. And we've gone this other way. Now, we're going to take a look at that. We're going to see how that... Many of the other parallels. One of the big parallels in Rome, when they removed themselves from the Republic, and they did this on the Ides of March, when they killed Caesar, who wasn't emperor yet, but he was looking for that position, imperator. And they feared that would be the death of the republic, and they killed the chances of the republic by exercising force to kill Caesar, Julius Caesar, and then an ensuing revolution took place, and out of that revolution came the dictator Caesar Augustus, whose real name was Octavius. And you know, just just this morning, I heard that Barack Obama. Uh, Called for the removal of Donald Trump. We must remove Donald Trump by any means. What does that mean? Amazing. You know, we we see that double standard going on in America because there's a collective unconsciousness that has seized the mind of many of the people of the world. Now, I don't believe by any means whatsoever that Donald Trump is the salvation of... (laughs) Of America and uh, the great faith that people are putting in him is 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 a bad idea that the government in the the country and the nation is not going to change until the people change, and that's critical to understand that but this antithesis towards him is is was something also we saw in history i mean the the emperors who fell into power and into prominence, into popularity. The people became so fickle that sometimes the imperial ship changed it like three, four times in one year. Uh, Sometimes emperors lasting only a month and then they changed them because nobody was happy with anything, because nobody was happy because they had all abandoned the things that had made the emperor empire. The Rome, before it was an empire, made Rome great and now we got people talking about making america great again so i could i could prophesy what's going to happen i could be wrong but people would have to change to make me wrong but i'm i'm not sure we have the moral character to go back to that which made us great what made america great was the fact that people got up every day went to work and still found time to take care of the needy of their community help one another I mean, you you read our article republished on... Uh, we didn't write it. Somebody else wrote it on Davy Crockett and his perspective towards government charity. Because government is not in the charity business. It is supplanting the charity business with civil religion, civil power, forcing the contributions of the people to take care of the needy of society. That is... That is going to devastate and destroy society and already has. We just haven't hit the sidewalk yet, but that's only a matter of time. So anyway, the the talking about this. uh, It is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus talked about in uh, several places. That uh, that's a real thing. But Jesus was not a socialist, because a socialist means that you don't have any right to private ownership. That the government can take away whatever it is that you produce and redistribute it to those who they think need it more. It's a redistribution of wealth. And that idea is anti-Christ. Because Christ was coming to return every man to his possessions and every man to his family, and so that what you produce belonged to you, but he t- also warns us throughout the Old and New Testament that if you do not share what God has blessed you with through free will offerings or charity or whatever you want to call it, if you do not share that, your days will not be upon the long upon the land, even to honor thy father and thy mother has to do with supporting your father and your mother. But Herod had come up with a system of Corbin that allowed the state to take care of your parents. And you did no more ought for your parents. You said, well, I give to the the treasury and you know, Corbin is translated treasury also. And that's where you go to get help if you need it. And of course, that's what we do today because the Corbin of the modern American and modern Christian is making the Word of God to none effect. But anyway, we'll be right back. welcome back to keys of the kingdom uh it was acts 432 which i uh, a voice came out of nowhere and told me what that was even though i had just found it anyway <laughs> and the reason why is it doesn't say all things in common it says all things common and there is no in in that uh that phrase there's no prepositional word in front of in common uh the problem is is this acts 432 is not talking about the general population and many people, because it says the word multitude, they think that they're they're talking about everyone. It's very clear that if you read Acts, you know, the chapter 4, they're talking about uh, the brethren, the 120 who came out and uh, began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, that's who they're talking about. Those are the believers they were talking about who believed in the kingdom To preach that kingdom and to be the ministers of that kingdom. And those people had to give up all that they had in order to um, be a minister of Christ. Jesus says that. You must give up all you have. And the word that you see there when he talks about giving up all you have and follow me you do, and you cannot be one of my disciples he says in, in Luke 14:33 you cannot be one of my disciples unless you give up all that you have and the word there that you see as all that you have is the word hoopur uh, kanta which is the same word we, that we see in acts Four thirty-two, but they don't translate it as hath. <laughs> they say the multitude, which is just the company. That that word multitude is also translated company. And again, we're talking about those that are preaching the gospel, those that were in the upper room, those that were appointed the kingdom. And it says of them that believed, and that again, that word believed, believed, accepted the terms. They committed themselves to this job of being the ministers, the called-out ministers of Christ. And so, as that called-out group, they were called those that believed. That company who believed. Because you could translate that very easily. And, referring back to who they were talking about before, which was those who were now coming out, the 120 coming out and preaching... The gospel of the kingdom, appointed by Christ, and that company of believers were of one heart. We already know they came into one accord, and and so we see them talking about this one heart, using the word "cardia," which you know where we get the idea of heart. They they were working together. They were in this physical network of men. Uh, who were preaching this gospel of the kingdom, and they also use the word one soul, one life. Soul had to do with with possession, associate with the suke, which is the word that we uh, translate into soul, and also translate into life, also translate into mind. So you could say that they were of one mind; they were in accord. And of them that ought of the things which he possessed. Well, that word possessed there is the same word that we see in order to be one of my disciples. You had to give up all you hath. That word hath is the same word that we see here as possessed. This is possessions. Now, the Bible says that you know, when the Messiah comes, he's going to return every man to his possessions. But here, these men are saying all that they have. They hold those things common. They hold them together. They're joint heirs. They don't have a personal estate. This is one of the things that really hard to get into the minds of most Jews and many Christians is, uh, who don't, Understand what Judaism was because they go to the Pharisees and ask them, so what is what is Judaism all about? <laughs> I keep going to them instead of the, the Jews that knew there was no animal sacrifice called for in the Old Testament. The way we see it, where you pile up stones and set them on fire. That's not what they were talking about. Yeah, they sacrificed animals and they ate them. They fed people with them. <laughs> That's what they were doing. They weren't setting them on fire and burning them up. And we go through that and and very clearly shows in, in the language. It, it's it's not clear to people who don't want to see outside of the box that they have created, the religious box that they've created. But anyway, that word "possess" there is the same word that we see that Jesus said, you had to give up all that you possessed to be one of my disciples and that's what they were doing they weren't giving it up throwing it away and becoming men of wearing rags like some sort of mendicant monk they were not holding a personal estate but they had they were joint heirs holding things common in a, in a sense they were almost a socialist society except for they also could not exercise authority one over the other Because they were forbidden to do that. So it's not really socialism. Because socialism always requires somebody to take from those that produce and redistribute to those who didn't produce enough. But we didn't have that in the church. So the church, even the ministers, were not socialists. They had to fit together without somebody regulating them, without some king. They had to be regulated in their hearts and in their minds. In that one accord with Christ. They had to come together out of love for one another. Which took them. And forced them to walk in daily forgiveness. One for the other. And daily giving of one to the other. And and they have that criteria to be ministers of Christ. Now you go out there. There's all kinds of ministers out there. Preaching and they singing and dancing and, you know, getting up behind the pulpit and talking to you and and making you feel good. But they don't hold things in common. They don't take care of one another. I know a minister who came from England, and he says in England, the church took care of the elderly minister. You know, they, they made provisions for them. But here, and of course, now I know also that in England, now they got the dole. But here... The minister, when he's done, they just send him out to collect Social Security. That's it. He doesn't get any retirement or pension. Many churches, some churches do. You know, a Levite was to retire at 55 from manual labor. He would still be counseling and all this, but manual labor part. Well, what is the manual labor? Oh, he had to pile up all those stones and kill all those sheep and set them on fire. So he had to go collect a lot of firewood to constantly be burning up sheep. No, no, that isn't what they're talking about at all. But you've unmoored the metaphor and you're following mindless rituals, or at least they did. But Jesus came and said, you don't know what Moses was talking about. You don't know Moses. You don't understand him. Now, there were Jews at that time who did, but it wasn't the Pharisees, wasn't the Zealots. Wasn't the Sadducees? It wasn't them who understood. And today, the modern church—the Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Seventh Day Adventists, uh, Mormons, Catholics—they don't get it. They don't have—they have no daily administration. They send all their people to benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. Oh, they'll go to the missions. Oh, they'll go to Africa, they'll go to South America, you know, they'll find poor people somewhere and then they'll get a real big charge out of the fact we went to the missions and helped out poor people in South America. So we're good Christians. But if your parents need help, you send them to the government, a bankrupt government, and say, you go get your Social Security check every month and the government will take care of you. That's what—that's the corbin of the Pharisees that made the word of God do not affect. Your pastors, your ministers, don't even have the faith to come out of that system. How in the world will you have the faith when that system fails? Because you know, in in that question that was put to me last night by the, uh, the minister, who evidently runs into that in his own congregation or people that he deals with. I think he says here, I have even read articles by some Christians who Christians were mendicants and that the Christianity not compatible with capitalism. No, Uh, I just I mentioned that earlier. I didn't even see the word now. I just copied and pasted this. I didn't even read it in. The Christian ministers were not mendicants. Mendicant monk, just to give you an idea. Mendicant monk was somebody who was in absolute poverty. He I mean he ended up wearing rags. He went from house to house begging for his next meal, for somebody to take care of him. That's not what the early church was doing. They they held all things common. I mean Barnabas didn't take the money That he got from the property he sold. And give it away to the poor. He came and he gave it away to Peter. And the apostles. He laid the money at the foot of the apostles. And the apostles were occupying the temple at that time. Going house to house and rightly dividing the bread. Because they had bread. Because they had money. And they could get bread. And they could help redistribute it. The difference between them and the governments of the world is the governments of the world have money too. Of course, they print their money up, but before they went to the total printing up money game, they got money through taxation. And they would go from house to house, rightly dividing the money that they got through taxation. But taxation is a forced offering. It's tribute. The church is a government, but it doesn't force the offering. That's what makes it different than other governments. It's another form of government that operates by faith, hope, and charity. Now, when you pay your taxes, do you pay your taxes down there at the local county seat or wherever you pay them or you mail them into the IRS and you say, I only want this money spent in my community for my friends. Do you get to say that? No. You put your money into this network of IRS agents and and everybody else that's involved in this, and, you know, social security agents and all these people and they decide where it goes. Unfortunately, they've spent it all already. <laughs> and they're operating in debt so they have to borrow money against the future of your children and grandchildren in order to pay out social security. And you thought that was okay. I mean, I have a local minister here who You know, he's over 72 and he's still working and, uh, you know, making his own living. And uh, now he gets to collect Social Security no matter what. You know, they're going to give him Social Security because he's over 72, I guess it is. Well, uh, he he was debating that. Well, I don't know if I should even take that. And his kids all said, yeah, take it. You have a right to it. You paid into it. But his kids are ignorant. These kids went to public school. They don't know how the system works. They don't know that all that money you paid in, that was to take care of the elderly back then. You don't get it. Your money's gone. It went out to drug addicts and heroin, dopers and all those people. And some elderly people too. You'd be surprised how many people who are not elderly who are getting Social Security. (laughs) You would be shocked. How my where all that money goes to. But they said, oh yeah, you take it. Take what? What are you taking? Are you taking your money back? Are you taking money you have on deposit? Are you taking money from the treasury that has been building up because everybody's been paying in? No, that money's gone. They're only paying out money they borrow So now those children who said, yeah, go ahead and take that money, their children are born $50,000 in debt because of that attitude. They're cursed with the debt of their parents because of that attitude. Because they thought public school was good and they didn't learn how the system worked in public school. They didn't even learn history anymore. They certainly don't know the gospel of the kingdom because that preacher isn't preaching it he's been told but he isn't preaching it and these people who think that the early christian ministers were mendicants false absolutely a lie they were not they had no personal property but they weren't walking around in rags begging for every meal they 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 were meals on wheels <laughs> We're running the meals on wheels. That was a recent thing in the news. Somebody said that, oh, these cutting meals on wheels, I think I think about two to four percent of the money they get comes from the federal government. He's not cutting it uh out. And besides that, tell you the truth, most of what I see go out on meals on wheels, I'm sure they do good and they really help people at times. But I see a, a huge amount of abuse and weakening of the people by Meals on Wheels. It's, it's, it's horrific how much damage they do. But they also do some good. But could you operate such systems by charity alone? No tax support. Well, it's certainly. And that's what the early church was doing. They had lots of money because people contributed to them. Because the people who were coming out were the most dedicated individuals, hardworking individuals who were tired of the abuse of taxation, and they were coming out. Now, you can't come out now if you want to come out and be a minister, but you have to meet these qualifications of Christ. And, And we would welcome you with open arms if we knew... That's really what you were doing, coming out to be ministers of Christ. But most of the people who say they want to be ministers of Christ don't want to pay the price of being a minister of Christ. They don't know what it means. Christianity is not only compatible with capitalism, it is a capitalist system. Now, the ministers are not necessarily capitalists, but they want their congregation to be capitalists. Because they have to return every man to his family and every man to his possessions. That's what the directive is all about. They themselves give up their personal estate, their freedom. They're the Levites who come out. They're separate from the world. That's what makes them holy. That's what holy means is separate. They hold all things in common, but they want you to hold your possessions. They don't want you to be covetous of them. They want you to be generous with them, like Christ was generous. But you get to make those decisions. You can't make the decisions of free will offerings if you're not a capitalist, because you don't own anything anyway. To take that choice away from you is taking away what God wants you to have. We will not take that away. You've given it away in order to get benefits for free at the expense of your neighbor. You were coveting your neighbor's goods when you sent your kids to public school, when you had the government take care of your parents. You were coveting your neighbor's goods. And now you've been devoured because of that. And your parents, you know, were coveting. So if you read in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Which, while some coveted after, they have erred from faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, that word love of money, that's actually from one single Greek word. It only appears once in the Bible. And it's translated as love of money because it comes from philia, which is the word that we translate often into love. And the word that has to do with silver. And uh, so it's kind of the love of silver. (laughs) But it means love of money because that's what the money was in those days, silver. You've gone way beyond that now. But it's actually from another word. But it's not translated love of money. And it appears twice in the Bible. It's translated covetous. It has to do with being avarice. Because you could be covetous of your own money. Because you know you should share what God has given you freely to others. But if you don't want to share it, you say, well, I don't have much, so I don't want to share it. Oh, I, I, I got needs for this for myself. That's your covetous of God's share of what you should be giving to God. Now, you don't have to give it to me, but you should be giving to others. You should be serving others, and that means you should not be covetous of your money, and certainly not of other people's money. If you're sending your kids to public school, you're covetous of your neighbor's money because you're not paying for all those benefits; you're forcing your neighbor to pay for some of those. If you're uh, if that, then that's not Christian. That's not, You're not a Christian if you think that's okay. Because it's not okay. Now, you need, have need of repentance if you're doing that. And I know lots of people are doing it. But they have to awaken. And we just did, you know, three hours on this idea of awakening themselves. They have to awake. But you cannot wake yourself up. You have to be willing to look at yourself and that should wake you up. That should be a slap in the face. We we see this word that we see in, in, in 1 Timothy 6.10, love of money, in, in a slightly different form. We see it in uh, Luke 16.14. And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things. And they derided him, meaning Jesus Christ. And we also see it in Second Timothy. He uses it, chapter 3, verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous of their own stuff, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And the list goes on. You can go look it up yourself. Second Timothy 3, 2. But that that word covetous is that same word that mixes philia with silver. But if you, if you go back to that Luke sixteen fourteen where it talks about the Pharisees being covetous, that's it starts out with the word and. And whenever it starts out with and or but, we know that it has a lot to do with what just went before that. Well, what just went before that? If you go back to sixteen one, we can read that, uh, and he said also unto his disciples. Now, he's talking to his disciples here, not the general population. There was a certain rich man which had stewards, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me this stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. Well, this is very important to understand what he's talking about. Because the ministers are the stewards of Christ's possessions. Of what you give to God. The ministers are supposed to redistribute. So how, how do we know he's doing right? Well, we're going to talk about that next on Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we were looking at this love of money, which is actually the word for covetous. And you can covet other people's money, but you can also covet your own money. The, you know, the idea. This is one of the things that I it, it irks me. It kind of rubs me the wrong way when I see people talking about covetousness because you want a nice car, covetousness because you want a nice house, covetous because you want you know want a a good wife and good children. Because you see your neighbor has these things. That's not covetous. That's just good sense. Covetousness is when you want your neighbor's wife. <laughs> you you don't want a wife like your neighbor who you thought had a really nice wife. You want your neighbor's wife. That's coveting your neighbor's goods. So coveting, you know, wanting to have a nice house and a nice car and and nice wife and nice kids... That's not covetousness in itself, but you know that everything you have is a gift from God. It you didn't you didn't create the world that you live in. You didn't create the environment. You didn't create the most of the things around you. And of course, we see the socialists out there saying, "Well, you know, businesses are successful because we made roads for them, etc., etc." Well, you only made roads because the businessman made enough money that you could tax them so you could make the road. <laughs> You didn't make the road. The businessman made the road (laughs) because you didn't go out and earn the money and build the road. And people just completely miss this. You know, the government doesn't build the roads. The people build the roads because the people produce the money that the government used to build the roads. Right? I mean, you paid them to build the roads already. You don't owe them anything. Well, actually, you do owe them because of the fact you have allowed your government to borrow against the future, which you should have never done. And if you were real Christians in America, you would have never let them do this. But you haven't been real Christians for a long time. And this is what we're going to get into in another part of the show, which is the other question that the minister asked me minister's asked me to talk about is uh, what he called march madness which is this obsession with sports and it's it's fascinating and we may get to that but let's get to this idea of love of money that we see and and we've connected that to the the uh, similar noun con- constructed of those same two words that appears in Luke 16:14 when it talks about the Pharisees having this covetousness. Why did they why does he talk about that? Well, you go back to Luke sixteen one and we we saw that he was talking to his disciples about a steward. And of course his disciples are training up to be stewards of the kingdom. It's gonna be my good He says I'm gonna take the kingdom away from the Pharisees, and I'm going to appoint it to somebody else. In other words, I'm going to take the stewardship of the kingdom away from the Pharisees and the Levite Pharisees and I'm going to give it to another group, which he says was his little flock. Because the first group wasted what was given them. And what was given them, it was the donations of the people. So... What's going on in the world today? We have ministers out there making millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, depending on what level of ministry they have. But they're not really preaching the gospel of the kingdom, but they're making lots of money. They're tickling your ears and that pays. They're making lots of good money doing that. Meanwhile, if you have any real need, if you need a daily ministration, that's not, you don't go to church for that. You go to the government. Which is civil religion. And the government has money to give you because it forces your neighbor to contribute. And it's used up all that money, squandered all that money, managed it terribly. And now they're borrowing against the future, cursing your children with the debt of what you want to have now schools and health care and all that stuff. All paid for by debt, not paid for by taxes paid for by debt. Taxes are you having to pay that debt back. You've all got student loans (laughs) and living loans, life loans. You're alive today because, and you know what you know today because you borrowed against the future and cursed your children with the debt you've created and your parents created and their parents probably before them. All those prophecies about becoming merchandise and Cursing your children. That's already taken place. You've already done that. You're there. Okay? You got the t shirt. I'm a slave. Because I coveted my neighbor's goods. I took a bite out of my neighbor's. I'm devoured. That's what it should say on your your t shirt. I'm devoured because I kept biting my neighbor, and my parents bit my neighbor, and everybody was coveting their neighbor's goods, and you've all been devoured. Done deal. You're in bondage. You're entangled again in the yoke of the world. And you can't do anything about it. You cannot save yourself. You can't work your way out of this debt. You can repent and start thinking a different way. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he explains this steward. And he called him and he said unto him that, That I hear this of thee. Give an account of thy stewardship. So I just gave you the account of your stewardship. All those ministers out there making you feel good in church and singing their songs and preaching their preach. This is this is their record. They've brought you into bondage. They've entangled you again in the yoke. Worse than that of Egypt. You're all back in that bondage. I mean, Egypt, what'd they have to give? 20% I guess. One-fifth of everything they earn. Well, you give way more than that. You have nothing. You don't own your house. You don't own your car. You don't own your money. You don't own anything. You're completely in bondage. And this is the fruits of your stewardship. And the stewardship of the church is you've been going to. Seventh-day Adventist, Methodist, Lutheran, Baptist. All these churches have delivered you into bondage because they did not preach the gospel of the kingdom. All those fellowships out there. They're not preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're not telling you to create a daily ministration. Their ministers do not qualify as ministers of Christ. They're they're making themselves rich on your stupidity and foolishness. Your covetousness and your greed. Your wantonness and lasciviousness. So he goes on in verse 3. Then the steward said unto him, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig, mean labor, work. I, to beg I am ashamed. Say he wasn't a mendicant. I'm resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their house. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him. And said unto him, unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And and said he to another, How much owest thou? You know, he just kept asking them all. But what was his answer? What did he do when he found out? And he said, A hundred measure of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. So he cut it in half. He, he, he said you you only have to pay half. And, and he did the same with the guy who owned a hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write down four score. He, uh, sixty. He only owned sixty instead of a hundred. And, and the... Lord commended the unjust servant because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, what did the minister do who was 72 years old and and now he's going to get social security? He said, yeah, give it to me. Take the money and take vacations. Went down, you know, goes to different places. Great. Great. That was great fun, using that money, cursing his children with debt. It's just a matter of math. I mean, he's not thinking this out, but he doesn't want to think it out, just like you don't want to think these things out. Because if you were thinking these things out, you'd be a part of a congregation, you'd be giving 10% of everything you earned, 15%, 30% of everything you earned to your minister, and he would be... Working daily to set up a daily ministration that did not need you to rely on the government of the world. He would be doing that and struggling to do that. And if he wasn't, he'd pick another minister who was going to be a good steward. But you're not doing that. You're not, you're not taking care of one another. You're not, you, you don't even tithe. You don't even share. What you have already. How in the world will you have any place in the righteous mammon of Christ? Which is another thing that he brought up about mammon. But anyway, in verse 10 he says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in the much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon... Who will commit to you, to your trust, the true riches? And if ye have been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This, after saying this, is when we see Luke sixteen fourteen come out. And the Pharisees also who were covetous. What are the Pharisees? The Pharisees they're talking about are literally the Levite Pharisees. These are the ministers of the government of Judea. The government of Judea used to operate on free will offerings. Now it operated on taxation, including... Its daily ministration was now the result of taxation, because that was the Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect. They were forcing the contributions of the people. All those people who signed up for the social security of King Herod, the you know the same as you signed up for the social security of of uh, King FDR, <laughs> uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. You signed up for that. You said, Yeah, let's all have one purse. And what does it say? That the ones who want to have one purse, they run towards death. Go read our article on one purse. That's where you're at. That's what you've done. You, your stewards, your ministers, they're just there to make you feel good while you pick the pocket of your neighbor in a covetous practice that is making you merchandise has made you merchandise and curses your children and your only salvation is to think a different way don't I mean why i saw a long list of people saying what church they go to and why because it makes them feel good because it keeps the, their kids occupied because it makes their wife happy You know, and and they'll go on missions, like I say, you know, go to Africa or uh, Mexico or South America. And they'll do nice things for poor people. And they'll get real good charge out of it that they're, they're now, they're good Christians because they did something nice for poor people. But their own parents were on Social Security or on Social Security now. And Social Security is bankrupt. And they think they're a part of the church established by Jesus Christ. No. Because the church established by Jesus Christ were cast out of the social welfare system operated through the temples of government. The civil religion of government. They would, they didn't get to go collect a Social Security check anymore. Well, a lot of people, they don't want to pay into it now. That's They're not going to be friends with that unrighteous man. Why is it unrighteous? Because it's based on forced offerings, not free will offerings. That's what makes it un... You know, mammon means entrusted wealth. Well, you entrusted your wealth, your 7.5%, your 14%, which is what Social Security is. That's really 14% of your wages, almost 15% of your wages. Because, you, you know, you're supposedly your employer pays half uh, of that in, but the reality is that's you paying it because the, all the money that your employer knows that it will cost to hire you could have gone to you. If he has to buy insurance, he figures that in to the cost of hiring you. And Social Security is supposed to be a social insurance. It's not really. But it, what it is is a system of Corbin. you pay into a common treasury, which the word Corbin is also translated treasury, and that treasury will take care of you in time of calamity and need. Israel had that system. And we we could set that up, but you people don't want to give. You don't want to come together. I had a minister call me the other day, wanted to ask me questions about, you know, marriage and holy matrimony and all that stuff. But he won't join the network. He cares about his flock, but he's covetous of his flock. I see this all the time. Ministers are covetous of their flock. This this flock is my bread and butter. Takes care of me. That and my maybe my social security check. You have to think a different way, and if you really think a different way, you're gonna be Saying, you know, I need to be setting up a system based on charity that takes care of the needy of society. I'm not saying stop taking your social security check; you'll probably starve. You're dependent upon it. I'm saying start seeking the kingdom of God. Like this Stuart. he starts saying, you know, we got we got to get into sharing and kindness and forgiveness. So you need to become a part of a network that is thinking in those terms and acting in those terms. Or there'll be nobody to take care of you when this system fails. Because that's what Jesus says. When the unrighteous mammon faileth, you'll be suitable for more righteous habitations. But you don't get there by coveting your flock, by coveting what you've made already with the money you have, by coveting your church and your religion and your philosophy. And that's where we're going to get into this, the new religion sports, which isn't all that new. This same thing went on in Rome. But why are the church churches diminishing? More and more people are, are, and the church is becoming more and more impotent. Because they have no daily ministration. No, you don't need them. You've got the government. So what would you need with them? See, you need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to go another way. And, and people are not going that other way. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly, shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And that's That's the difference. I mean, you're taken care of in this world by government who, it's not about cheerful government. Although, you know, I know people who, who want to pay their taxes. They think they have an obligation to pay their taxes. I mean, an, an emotional, spiritual obligation to pay their taxes. And they willingly pay their taxes. But they don't understand the kingdom. But actually, in a way, they do understand the kingdom because they understand that we get government services and we need to pay into them and we need to pay for them and this is all we see. But, you know, if those people actually heard the gospel and they said, yeah, you know, it would be better if everybody had this. Everybody who understands the need to support a government of the people, for the people, and by the people they saw that need and they were willing to come together with other people like that who see that need. And they were going to be willing to contribute. Because these are the people who are made friends with the unrighteous mammon. They don't like the abortion, the money spent on abortion. They don't like the money spent on war. But they understand that I have to support the government. But nobody's shown them the other form of government. The church established by Christ is Another form of government is defined as that in the law dictionary. The church is one form of government. What's the difference between the church providing for the daily ministration of all the congregants of the church and the government providing all the welfare for the congregants of their system? The difference is the church does it by free will offerings, charity, and the world does it by force and violence. And until John the Baptist, everybody was going the force and violence method. But John the Baptist said, no, we got to do this with charity. This is the message. This is the gospel of the kingdom. If you're not preaching that gospel, that we should be taking care of one another so nobody has to go to the government. Nobody has to go to the benefactors who exercise authority. Everybody can take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That is the gospel. That is the good news. If you don't believe that, you don't believe Jesus because that's what he was saying. You don't believe John the Baptist because that's what he was saying. Yeah, if you owe, pay it. That's being friends with the unrighteous mammon. But start thinking in terms of getting the job done through charity. And you cannot do that with a little home church. You have to have a network of churches. A network of congregations. Where the ministers hold all things in common. Where the ministers are not doing this for money or social security or, you know, because they don't want to work or they don't want to sacrifice. They're doing it because they actually care about other people besides themselves. They're willing to sacrifice themselves for others. It's a test. Life is a test. The person who who brought this up, they, they went on to write, I, I know the scriptural context is more about the poor, referring to Second Corinthians 9, 6. But uh, this applies to community in general, too. What are we sowing in our community? Well, this is what you do in church. That is your community. That's one of the things that uh, that is in the definition of the church. It's not only one form of government. But it's a community, but it's also a society because the church, in a specific sense, is the ministers. In the general sense, it includes the people the ministers serve, and the people can, the ministers cannot serve the people without the contributions of the people. So it's a mutual relationship. Let's let's take a look at that Second Corinthians uh, that was in nine six, where it talks about every man according to the purpose of his own heart, but if we go back to the beginning of that chapter and we see second uh, Corinthians nine one we see something a little bit different in the uh, in the way in which this is put together. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. And this is Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians. For I know the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia. This is an international network of charity. That uh, Achia was ready a year ago and your zeal hath provoked very many. So he's talking about they were ready to give. They, they were already accumulating that which they were going to give to another group miles and miles away from Not some home church. You know, we A lot of people start talking about the early church was just home churches. Well, certainly that was the foundation. Well, the foundation is Christ. But local congregations came together and started taking care of one another. But it was also an international network of congregations. Where people in Macedonia and people in Galatia and people in Corinth were helping take care of other people according to the needs. And this was as Rome was in decline and falling. And you don't have that yet. You don't have a network like that. We're just starting to build it. And we could build it much faster if you actually started thinking the way Christ is telling us to think. They break away because they don't get the stimulation that they're looking for because they're really not committed to Christ. They're committed to what does my church make me feel like? You know, how, how, how does it make me feel? Well, if you were doing what you were supposed to be doing, you wouldn't need some outside stimulation making you feel a certain way. Because you would be the way. You wouldn't need the phony, feel-good religion. So anyway, it talks about this, touching the ministering to the saints. Again, the saints are the holy, the ones who are separate. That's the ministers themselves. And how who is ministering to the saints? It is the people ministering to the ministers who have separated themselves out and hold all things in common. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest thou boasting of you uh, in vain in this behalf. And he says, you may be ready. So they were getting ready to give to another country far, far away from them. And that's very important to understand. And we'll show you how that works when we come back. And why the church is in decline. So welcome back. Uh, so we're talking about Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, and he's talking about Macedonians. With Macedonia. That was way up by what we call Albania. Today. And you know it's north of Greece. Long ways from Corinth. But he, he talks about. Therefore I thought it necessary. To exhort. The brethren. That they would. Go before unto you. And make up beforehand your bounty. That means the stuff that you're collecting. He he says, less happily if they of Macedonia come with me and found you unprepared. We say not ye should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. So he's talking about people in Corinth putting up a bounty, a treasury of funds To be taken not next door, not to your buddy's house, not to the people right around you, but to people way off. But not just any people way off. Other Christians. But what's a Christian? See, most of you out there in the world today are not Christians. You're not following Christ. You have no daily ministration to take care of the needy of your congregations. You're not gathering together in a network that can help people in other parts of the world. You're, you're in, in almost every case, Christians today are heavily dependent upon the benefactors who exercise authority. If they need help, they go pray to the fathers of the earth, the ones they serve. Even though they know those fathers of the earth today, those governments of the world today, are bankrupt, and all the children born in in Macedonia, uh, <laughs> in Corinth, in in the United States, in New Zealand, in Australia, and uh, you know Michigan or Florida or Canada, all the children born in those places are born in debt. They're they're born cursed with debt. I mean, even before their student loans, they're cursed with debt. Because the money they loaned you for student loans, they borrowed against the Federal Reserve. (laughs) You owe it twice. You owe it for the student loan and you owe it because you were born in America. (laughs) You are so in debt, it is staggering. Debt upon debt upon debt. Curse upon curse upon curse. You are devoured. And all because you don't, think righteously. You're not trying. You, you should be just running to gather together in a network of charity. Struggling to give every week so that you could start building the righteous mammon, which is not entrusted to individuals, but into a network of people who come together in one accord. The saints, the separate ones. It is hard to find people who would qualify for that position. Who are really going to dedicate their lives to helping others. Many of them won't even help themselves. They won't take care of themselves. And, And so he says, you might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of the covetousness. Not of the covetousness covetous of what of their own stuff Just so that they don't you know making up excuses why they don't have to tie what are they thinking what why would they do this because they don't really love Jesus they don't really care about Jesus you know and that word covetousness that's a that's a a, a different. Word than what we saw with the filio, you know, there's several words that are translated has to do with covetousness, and that one is uh, pleonexia, I think it is, uh, which is also translated uh, covetous practices, and uh, it comes from uh, comes from the word that means covetous, but it's a little bit different, and of course we know that covetous practices is what Makes us merchandise. What curses our children. And it shows up quite a few different places in, in the Bible. I mean, we see it in Mark. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. We see it in Luke 12:15: Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in abundance of things which he possesses. Well, again, the ministers have already given up their personal estate. They should have. I mean, most of your ministers out there in the world today, they haven't. They haven't even given up their social security. Now, they, they cannot qualify as ministers of Christ if they're still collecting social security. They may be nice guys. They may love a lot of things about Jesus, but they don't qualify as those ministers to whom he appointed the kingdom if they're still desiring their their social security payments. They don't qualify. And I'm not saying they're bad or wicked. I'm just saying they're still heavily enmeshed in the unrighteous mammon. They, They belong to the world. They're of the world. That's where, that's what's supporting them is the treasury of the world, which is empty. So therefore it's the, they're cursing the children of the people they serve with more and more debt every time they collect that check. Could they survive without that check? Well, if they came together and thought a different way, God could provide for them. But they're not willing to do that. I mean, just like the rich guy. You know, give up all you have. Well, certainly you have to give up your entitlements that are provided by the benefactors who exercise authority. You'd have to give that up or you can't be a minister of God. Now, there's a lot of other things to it. But that's a that's a big thing. You're not really a minister of the church established by Christ if you're still praying to the fathers of the earth for your daily bread. You cannot do both. So, if you wanted to enter an order where you would be taken care of outside of that, you would have to change your ways. You'd have to think a different way. You know, in that uh, Luke twelve fifteen, where it talks about... Uh, it, you know, let, let me read it for you, because there's another word that you'll find in that that verse. And he said unto them, Take heed, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Guess which word that is? That's the word where he has to give up all he hath. <laughs> That's that same word. That Jesus was saying, if you want to be one of my disciples, you have to give up all you have. He's talking about this same thing. And, and, and then he spake the parable uh, unto them, saying, the, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my fruits. And he said, this I will do. I will pull down my barns and he'll build this big barn. And this is what all the preachers have done. They have this big collective barn. And they're still, you know, they're still collecting their social security. And uh, now, I, I'm not going to try to make people follow this way. I'm just telling you what the way of Christ really was. And if you want to go this way, we'll help you. If you want to become a true minister and qualify as a minister of Christ, we'll we'll show you what we've learned. I mean, this is really clear stuff. You, you can't you can't argue with uh, this this uh, truth that Jesus is saying. This holding things in common as ministers of Christ Church. So anyway, this, this this same word covetousness that we see, also translated greediness, also covetous practices, and, and we see it in uh, a number of different uh, places. In uh, you know, Peter uses it way down in Second Peter two three, and through covetousness, this is the same word, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So that's that's why your merchandise is because of this these covetous practices. We see the same word in first Thessalonians two five for neither at any time used we flattering words as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness God a witness. So, they're talking about this uh, idea over and over again of this covetous nature of, you know, I don't use flattering words like all these preachers that are making millions of dollars. They're making you feel good. I'm trying to make you seek good because that's the command. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We see the word translated greediness in Ephesians 4, uh 19. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness, which is also translated wantonness in other places, to work all unclean with greediness, with covetousness, and that's what we're doing. We, well, you know, we got these great schools, we got all these uh, great things that we see people just loving. And thinking are great, but it all comes by forcing the contributions of the people through these literal covetous practices. See, Peter Peter uses the same word again, and it's translated covetous practices, chapter 2, verse 14, which is a little ways away. The other one was chapter 2, verse 3, but it says, having eyes full of adultery... And that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart, they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. That's what you've done. This is already done. Peter was prophesying that you would do it. I'm telling you, you've already done it. I'm not, now, if you know the fullness of the prophecy, now you know what comes next. Either your repentance, or your damnation, your destruction. If you want to be suitable for more righteous habitations, you have to repent and change your thinking. And, and you have to continue to pay your tally of bricks, but you have to change your thinking and start thinking we need to be taking care of one another through charity. That's going to require real sacrifice, not token sacrifice. You know, not not a trip to South America for a couple of weeks to make you feel good about the fact that you think you're a Christian. You have to actually be a Christian on a daily basis. It's called a daily ministration. It's not a week-out-of-the-year ministration. (laughs) (laughs) You know, where you go find some really, really poor people and help them. And you haven't even taken care of business at home. Now... You know, there's a lot of good people out there who take care of their parents or try to, but their parents are still on Social Security. and But that's still a long ways from the kingdom. You know, this idea of covetous, it's really easy to fall into this. And, and you have to fast from this. Jesus could have turned his ministers into bread for him. He could have been the charismatic leader, had everybody giving to him and been richer than he was When he was born. Because he was born rich. Did you know that Jesus was born rich? He was a member of one of the wealthiest families. (laughs) In the Roman Empire. His uncle was one of the wealthiest men in the Roman Empire. And you think he's out there somewhere in a mud hut. You know. Making a plow with his dad. This poor carpenter. Who said that? that's a picture drawn to you by men who have more in common with the Pharisees than they have with Christ. So anyway, where are we going to take all this that we look at that? Well, the other another minister wanted to talk about March madness and he talks about the Ides of March, which is the 15th of March if anybody doesn't know. It's when, you know, they killed Julius Caesar and destroyed all chance of the republic. The assassination of a leader, a strong leader, in order to return the people to a republic is not the way it works. That The reverse will take place. If you want to return to a republic, you have to return to republican values. And you're not returning to republican values until you start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Because... You have to live as if you're free from things public. I don't mean don't pay your taxes. I mean take care of one another. Pay your tally of bricks, but take care of one another through gleaning in the fields at night for your benefits. But anyway, he goes on and talks about you know college football and all this stuff. And he brought up an article that was written by uh, Gotham Copra and Tom Brady, uh, Religion of Sports and uh, it's a six part documentary that uh, viewed somewhere i guess on tv or something but uh, and he said i'd go to the boston boston gardens and feel like i was part of something bigger than myself because he was a sports nut at the time of the roman empire when you know augustus was rising to this position of of the emperor of rome sports was on the rise too they had the, I think it was the blues and the greens. It might have been the blues and the reds. But uh, they had these two teams and you would signify what team you supported in the Coliseum by wearing their color. You know, it's like gang colors. And that's why gangs are successful in poor communities where, you know, the fathers have abandoned their responsibility. Gangs are, again, a symptom Of a problem. And that problem is. Is that we have abandoned the ways of God. We have abandoned the family. We have abandoned the natural use. Of the woman. We have abandoned. Righteousness. And so therefore you end up with gangs. And one of the things that gangs do. Is they have gang colors. Because they need this sense of identity. That they lost when they lost the family. And they lost community. So the the gang comes along and gives them that sense of community and so then they wear the gang colors. It The same problem existed at the time of the church. They had gangs and they had, and a lot of times it was centered around support of a particular team, you know, the red team or the blue team. You, this is why they were talking about not trimming the corner of your beards and not braiding the hair in a certain way because it separated you, divided you. And of course, that's what you've done Oh, we're Seventh-day Adventists. Oh, we're, you know, Lutherans. Oh, we're Lutherans of this synod, or Methodists, or whatever, Baptists. And we think that we're a part of something bigger than us. Even the idea of believing in God is making you think of something bigger than you. And there is a God. And there is something bigger than you. But if you have faith in an image of God that is not God... It's idolatry, and they just in this article, Copra says things like sports transcends all of the differences that we have. It's a bond between my community of friends from Boston, something that we live and share together. Is brought a lot of meaning to their otherwise, their otherwise meaningless life. <laughs> Why is their life meaningless? Because they're not real Christians. He he talks about the new American religion as the rise of sports and the decline of the church. And that's true. But the decline of the church is not the result of the rise of sports. The rise of sports is to replace what is missing in the church. And what is missing in the church is the fact that you're thinking of your congregation, you're a Baptist, you're Seventh-day Adventist, you're Mormon, you're this, that, the other thing. There's only one church, and that's established by Jesus Christ. And the common denominator of that church is Christ and his doctrines. And if he told us to love one another, not to covet our neighbor's goods to the agency of government or benefactors who exercise authority or the fathers of the earth, if he told us not to covet our neighbor's goods to their agency, then we should not be doing that. But what should we be doing? We should be loving one another. And that same word that says love one another is the word we see translated charity. We should be taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Otherwise, we're not Christians. That's not taking care of somebody in Africa or somebody in South America or somebody used to be China uh, you know, wherever you can find poorer people. And the poor you will have with you always. But if you're not taking care of one another, if you're not strengthening one another, and that's what you want to do, is you want everybody in your congregation to be making as much money as they possibly can. In other words, let's call money fruit. As much fruit as they possibly can. Why? So that they can share it. Not so that they can hoard it. Not so they can build a barn and make themselves rich. By putting all the stuff in it, but so that they can share as as often and as regularly as possible. You have to think a different way. Not what is in it for me, but yeah, I want to make lots of money so I have lots to share. Wow. Different way of thinking. But it requires capitalism in order to facilitate that. You have to earn it and own it in order to share it. And give it. Right? So capitalism is the essential ingredient. Of true kingdom thinking. He says, I love sports. It's often the one thing that defines the community that they live in. It's not just religion. It's often the better religion. It doesn't require faith, dogma, all of these other rules and regulations, it requires participation. You show up, miracles kind of happen. What kind of miracles? You win the game. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, how many athletes do we find out later that have been beating their wife? <laughs> Or abandoning their children or doing terrible, terrible things. But he was, man, he was a good ball player. Actually, <laughs> we do the same thing with our ministers. You know, Jimmy Swagger, and I don't know all the different scandals that are out there, but you find these ministers that everybody loves. You find out he's molesting kids. What is that? You haven't, you've got nothing to be proud of. You got no community. You have a sense of community. And, of course, now we have churches that are big into, you know, dancing and singing. You get all the people together and you play music and you get that rhythm going. And and people are bouncing and bouncing. And they actually sometimes have trampolines right there. And they're up and down. And it makes them feel like they could jump really high because they're bouncing on a trampoline. <laughs> they can't really do that in real life, but... But then they say, "Oh, but there's health benefits, and there certainly are, and there's nothing wrong with dancing and singing and having a good time." But that's not the Holy Spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit. So anyway, we're going to continue this, you know, with the show this afternoon, and and we're going to talk about how to escape this and get back to the true church. Next time on Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you.